This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Hello. Hi, Nubians. Welcome. Uh, Good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Uh, Welcome to episode 102 of In Class with Carr. Hi, Dr. Carr. Yes. Hey, Professor, how are you? Looking good. The energy is high. The loving this. And hello, Nubians and everybody else looking at us. We are doing well this morning. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. Getting texts from you at six something in the morning. I'm like, okay, so he's up. All right, let's get started early. I yeah, guess because I, I ain't going to sleep. Okay. <laughs> but oh. I took a nap after that. So Did you know. You? Okay. All right. Because yeah. oh, yeah. you need your rest. Um. But, but then I was yeah, up. I yeah, you uh, were definitely up. See, we overlapped in that moment, but but something was on your mind, huh? So you something worried you this morning. Huh? I worry. I'm just like you know. I don't know. If, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I have um responsibility to talk to people, and I want to be responsible in my discussions. And you know, this, I also this- thank you again because that I realize now, since these past couple of years, especially doing more and more of this, how hard that is. Not only do it once a week or a couple of times a week but five days a week and teach your class and be involved in everything and build out narrative and Nubia and continue to that. I just want to tell that's no joke. Anybody thinks this is a joke. Y'all watch, 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 or better yet, try a little of it. So I just want to say that. Well, to I mean, be both of us though, because we're, we're semi-perfectionists. We're a little obsessive uh, yeah. in terms of making sure we get it right. Because again, you, you know, you don't, you don't want to ever lead anybody down the wrong path. And I said something this week right. because, you know, the, the Ukrainian situation is yes. heating up. Putin's playing tic-tac-toe three in a row. Wet, you know, he's playing all kinds of games. You know, he's double Dutch. I'm in, I'm out. Ah-ha-ha. <laughs> you know? And I said on the you air, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, we want to fight for democracy in a country when we don't have voting rights in America. Mm. Like, I, I don't know, black people, we got, mm. you know, we got a woman crying and a judge crying about uh, giving time to somebody who took a life and we're supposed to go over there and fight for what exactly? I'm like, I don't know this war, rumors of war. Should we, as global citizens, be involved in it? I mean, we're going to get dragged in it. It's going to impact us. They're probably going to attack the grid. We're probably not going to have internet if something happens. I think China's just waiting for the Olympics to be over to be like, hmm, here, Putin, here's some, you know, here's some help. I don't know what to think about it. And so I'm sitting here and how to talk about it in a way as a global citizen. Mm. What investment, if any, should we have in what's happening over there? Well, I mean, we're in it. Well, we're in it. I mean, we're in it by virtue of the fact of, you know, simple two words, nuclear weapons. So the species has the ability to destroy itself now. So geopolitics completely shifts. And uh, and we should spend about maybe 15 seconds on what happened in Minnesota. Ch- uh, shout out to Judge Regina Chu, appointed by Jesse Ventura, then elected on her own, then reelected. Understand your tears. Understand the real angst. As you said, this woman didn't put her knee on Dante Wright's neck for uh, for for nine almost nine minutes. I mean, you know, she's much more efficient. So I understand, I understand her reticence, her 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 um, her sadness. Because anytime you have to exact any type of punishment on your master, what it does is it creates a kind of cognitive dissonance. I mean, you know, and so I understand. Yeah, but uh, you, I was going to play the um, clip, but I don't want to trigger myself. Well, no, it's not. I mean, as I said, we, we've already we've talked enough about it. We can go yeah. on. No, <laughs> I mean, but, but there were lies in the first sentence. Of course. <laughs> she didn't, you know, like she didn't mean to do it. 
how do you know? First of all, because that's her master. She know her master didn't mean to do that. You know, this, you know, and, and every word out of the judge's mouth, including the tears, you know, yeah. I, I was like, everything centers anything but the humanity of that young man who lost his life that day. Well, he was the woman. There's no humans involved. That's right. Yeah. Not human. That's the first lesson that uh, Sister Chu's uh, family learned when uh, her people came to the United States. You can discard those people over there. They're not human. So it's all good. And if you want to be human, you probably need to distance yourself. In fact, get up on our level. We well, can't be me, but get close to me. So uh, shout out to Judge Regina Chu. She did her job. She did her duty. Uh, the only thing we can do is control what we can control. You know, which means that, uh, and by the way, and this is very important. I mean, last night I was in a conversation for a couple of hours with Jared Ball and Kalanji Changa over in their Black Power Media, they wanted to have a conversation on whether voting matters. And I did my best to communicate that it does. And of course, you know, we had some disagreements and, and that's fine. We should always have a robust debate, but we should always have a common frame of reference we're using. And I felt like a lot of times we were talking past each other, but I'll just say less about that and more about this. Regina Chu is an elected judge. If you don't like it, go get rid of her. I mean, let Kim Potter go and do her two years and then go and make her money on the lecture tour and get whatever she's already. I'm not her commissary is lit. Lit. I already put on the bank, right? And did you did you, I'm sure you did, uh catch any of the uh watch any of the uh the funerary rites for um the young brother Locke, Amir Locke, the other day it was in I really have unplugged. I mean it, it is tough sitting here and then it's like around the clock, you know. Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Russia. Oh yeah, well, I haven't really been keeping up with. Well, first of all, I'm I can't like, watch. I can't so I'm, watch. Re I'm reading Born in Blackness. That's yes. I'm spending my yes. time doing that. Yeah. Here's today's <sighs> paper. In fact, it's New York Times. Biden says he's convinced Putin has decided to invade. But you know, the New York Times is the paper of record for white nationalism in the in the United States and the global empire. Now, the Financial Times weekend. Uh, Putin blames Kiev for escalation and brings forward nuclear drills. There's this magic word, nuclear. There you go. So, but you see the difference, right? The white nationalist, American white nationalist paper is ginning up, is beating the drum for war, but that's what New York Times does. The international finance paper is being a little more judicious in the sense because they got to worry about how the markets are going to react. And, and, uh, I imagine what's also moving through your mind right now is not not just the uh, cosplay uh, of us versus them, because there is no us, there is no we, uh, in terms of the United States and Russia or the Ukraine, but also uh, the big, so far, kind of quiet presence or not presence of China. And they're not quiet. They're in the Olympics that they are, you know. <laughs> with, with proxy, you know, like sports like politics is just a proxy for warfare. <laughs> so, but I feel, you know, when the, the, the game's in tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So uh, Monday, I expect them to, you know, either quietly or loudly, you know, uh, let the world know where they stand. Because, you know, it's to their man. They they have a 10,000 year plan. Oh, Dr. no question. So fact, this, you, I don't know if you did you talk to how you know Howard's deep work is on China too. I brought it so let me just thank all of the Nubians who joined us yesterday yes. for our for our discussion with Howard French. But I, you know, he was on my show and he brought up Mansa Mansa Musa, mm -hmm. who you know I've known you know since I was in my 20s, you know, and I've always kind of parroted the richest man in the world, black man, you know, went across. I always thought he was Arab, first of all. I always thought he was Arab. Well, he had a Muslim name, right. 
but he was black, 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 and he's on the cover of Howard Howard French's book. Yeah, there he but, is. Yes. In fact, it's on display. We talked about that, born in black. There he is with that gold. White people were obsessed with Mansa Musa. Obsessed with him. Uh, I'll, uh, anyway, if you're in D.C., I think you all know we talked about that months ago. That exhibit ends the end of this month at the museum, National Museum of African Art, which is the uh, Caravans of Gold. In fact, Keep talking. I'm gonna get to catalog because I want y'all to see it. Again. So I brought I brought Howard's because we're we're building out our library of yes. of you should knows, and um, so I wanted to make sure that we at least you know captured Mansa Musa, who was pivotal in awakening Europe to the power of the continent of Africa, and yes. and and it. I'm not blaming him, but you know because of the wild vast way in which he lavished gold across from Mali all the way to Egypt. Uh, and destabilized gold single-handedly. Right. Uh, you know, Portuguese are like, wait a minute, there's mm -hmm. gold in them there are hills? There's gold we in them there are hills. And the Portugal, you know, then the, the backwater called Europe. This is the cover. Caravans of gold, fragments in time, art, culture, and exchange across medieval Saharan Africa. There's the blow-up of Mansa Musa there. And, of course, they knew the difference between Black people and white people. <laughs> so it's very clear. Here's the map of the world at the time. You see where the societies are. You see, and of course, at this just just this part of Africa that we're looking at here, the United States could fit twice. And so you see there in Europe, look at all those societies and civilizations in Europe that are, uh, wait, oh, oh, no. yeah. Just where Spain and Portugal are, the so-called Iberian Peninsula, they got a little activity going on here. But as, as Howard talks about in his book, Born in Blackness, Africa creates Europe. Europe. That part of Western Eurasia is a backwater. They had nothing to trade. Nobody wanted anything from up there. Whatever little they had, much of it came from the Muslims who had been up there by then for several centuries and many centuries. In fact, this is another companion volume. This is actually a book called Sahel, Art and Empires on the Shores of the Sahara. The Sahel, it's gold, y'all. Which is why there's a crossover in many words in, in Islam and Spanish. Yeah. Oh, no question. Because no question. Of the Islamic influence on Spain, not the other way around. That's right. That's right. In fact, let me look, look at this. Here. You see, these are the trade routes in Africa. You see that there? Look at that. Look at that. And then they extend going east all the way across. Now, you know, it's fascinating because what you'll then see, and I'm, I'm not going to do, you know, we got, we got plenty of time to do this uh, as we continue to build, but I just want to maybe if I can find one other map to illustrate what we're talking. Ah, here we go. By the time the Amovarids come around in the 12th century, they're conquering. They're coming down. This is what destabilizes Timbuktu. But look, you see, when you come across the, the Straits of Gibraltar, named for Gibral Tariq, a black Muslim general, when they invaded what became Spain and Portugal in the 8th century, what you see is this thing right here, just under control of non-white people, which we call the, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and all that kind of thing. That's jump-started by non-white knowledge, non-white knowledge systems. In fact, what Europe calls the Dark Ages, the lights wasn't off all over the world, baby. Y'all ain't had no light bulbs. <laughs> you understand? And the Chinese, since we mentioned the Chinese, and of course, Howard has written two very important books on China, and including China and Africa. The one book, China, Africa, uh, Africa, rather, Africa, China's second continent, mm -hmm. uh, it, it deals with the Chinese-African presence. You know, Howard lived in China, 
He speaks a number of languages. I mean, his wife, in fact, her, her people from Ghana, although Howard himself uh, lived in D.C., born and raised in D.C., and then, but he's people from Virginia, from the South. He writes about all that in, in Born in Blackness, in fact, in the last uh, section, chapter five, section five. But the other book he wrote to what you've observed, uh, Prof, is called Everything Under the Heavens, which is a kind of conceptual narrative of how China looks at the world. China sees itself as the center of everything under the heavens. And, and in fact, what he says in Born in Blackness is he compares the Ming Dynasty with the emerging uh, uh, royal families of Portugal. And this is just before this little uh, girl and boy, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, get together in part to stave off the Portuguese, who were the first Europeans to come out looking for the gold and the legends of Mansa Musa and all them. What he says is if the Chinese had decided, because they had them big boats, they had the big fleet ships, like Europe had, Africa didn't have the tall masted ships, so they couldn't catch the wind and sail. They hadn't come to that technological uh, application yet, but they did have the big ships. In fact, we talked a little bit, he and I talked yesterday about how the boats that the that the Africans put in the water into the Atlantic. He says, no, I absolutely believe, I know that, I believe that they did that. He's done the research, you know, he's saying there's not a lot of primary sources, a lot of mouth to ear history, but I, he said, I'm firmly convinced. I say, I am too. And it's so funny because the 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 the, uh, the, uh, the publisher that published those two books on China, I'm sorry, Africa, China, Second Continent, and Everything Under the Heavens was Random House. And I, we were laughing because I said, you know, Random House also published the ancestor Ivan Van Sertima's book, They Came Before Columbus, where Van Sertima asserts that they, those boats that the Africans put in in the 14th century in Mali did in fact make it across. Mm -hmm. And that those Africans were the ones who had interactions with Native Americans so that when the Europeans finally got there a couple of centuries later, they were like, you people look very strange. But that one there, thinking about the Blacks who came, yeah, we've seen them before. In other words, so, but I said it was funny because uh, this book that you all talked about yesterday that we talked about as well, um, Born in Blackness, is with Norton. which And in fact, it's a very beautiful book. It's got the good gilded cover. And so, you know, Norton puts books like that together. But Norton, Howard said, didn't set aside a budget for promotion of an excellent book like this. And I said... He said, that's why I'm out here working so hard. He said, I want black people to read this book. So I know he was talking to you. And I'll just make this one of the point. We were laughing because I said, that's so funny because Random House, the one that published your previous two books, also published Ivan Van Sertum's They Came Before Columbus and the acquisitions editor at the time that not only acquired for Random House, Van Sertum's book asserting that the Africans got here centuries before. Muhammad Ali's The Greatest. Huey P. Newton, whose birthday we just passed, revolutionary suicide, Gail Jones, Toni Morrison. Yep. Toni Morrison was the acquisitions editor. Who did, who did that book too? The Black Book. The Black Book. You better point to it. No question. So I, I was, that's why I was asking you before we went live. Yeah. I was like, no, I, I was very conversation with you and Howard French just about the publishing industry. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we have to suss out these, you know, unfortunately, I, I think sometimes people digest too much and they can't take it, you know, it's That's like, very true. so it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's bite this off. Let's bite this off. So I'm, I'm picking through, we're going to probably have a conversation about Ghana. We're probably going to, you know, it's like yeah. these, these pieces. And then we put them in, you should know in narrative and then people can go down their rabbit holes, but towards the end, because the Nubians come in and you know, they're freaking brilliant. We had a, <laughs> yeah, brother, we had a brother from Kenya back to the war thing. who's was like, you know, I'm born in America, but my family's Kenyan. 
but Kenya is a country that was made by the Europeans, like Nigeria, made by the Europeans, um, to the name Nigerian. Uh, the, the name Nigeria means uh, land of the blacks, but derogatorily, uh, you know, it's like he said, so how should should I rep Kenya? You know, or should I rep Africa for, you know, and he, was, he already knew the answer, but he was saying something because at the end, how it was like the continent, demographically speaking, is going is already the most plentiful in the world. Yes. By the end of the century, is going to have 5.5 billion, I think he said, people. Mm. While Europe's population is shrinking, you know, America with the last census, white people lost their minds. Probably why we're in this mess right now, because they looked at the census like, we're diminishing. Let's bring in some more white people. Where do we get more? Well, we already exhausted all. Okay. Yeah, all right. Bubblehead Cretan, uh, Stephen Miller. Where is he these days? Anyway. I don't care. Don't uh, worry. I, I'm not going to say his name two more times so he will appear, but go ahead. Okay. No. <laughs> He's not Kenyan. He's not that powerful. No, but, he's definitely um, not that powerful. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I brought up Japan, which is it, the economy is struggling because of the lack of, of re reproduction. That's but right. Africa is teeming. He said Af uh, Europe is no longer going to be able to to play the games they've been able to play in the past. And I was thinking about it in terms of this war and everything. Every economy needs people to survive. Africa is flush with not just all of the resources, but also human beings. But they won't be able to do what they did four or five hundred years ago and extract those human beings to build their wealth. Because hopefully we know enough now. And they did a nasty thing with this whiteness, creating blackness that like that Kenya brother who came in and Oz was in. We now see ourselves as black. Under one banner, which we didn't before, which is why they were able to do what they did. So now they got a problem. I think, I don't know, but you know, as China, you know, does what it's going to do in Russia and Ukraine, it'll all be moot if the nuclear war thing comes into play. But, you know, I feel optimistic about the future. So that's how, that's we how have to be optimistic. Yeah. No, we have to be optimistic. I, they can't do what they did before, but they also can't do what they did before. Meaning, <laughs> The number of people is for sure, and we've talked. We I've mentioned this book several times now over the arc of the last couple of years. Uh, this came out in 2019. Stephen Smith's books, The Scramble for Europe, uh, a young Africa on its way to the old continent, and we talked about it. I mentioned it with Harry yesterday. We're talking in, in this book. Stephen Miller, this is Stephen Miller. Stephen Smith, uh, 2019 says in 2050, 450 million Europeans will face. 2.5 billion Africans. That's mid-century. And this was two years ago. And as we know, typically with demographic trends, when you start talking about Africa, they they are conservative and they always underestimate. And one of the things he talks about is that uh, right now, right now, 40% of the human beings living in Africa are under 15 years old. So that demographic explosion is there. Now the question becomes, and again, you know, one of the reasons they can't do what they did before is that, to to your observation, there is now a sense whether people embrace it fully or not, and we know that they we don't yet. Hence, the question of should I continue to rep Kenya? But there is an awareness of our commonalities. There is a there is a clear awareness of the common impact of invaders there is a growing awareness of the what Sheikh Antajok would call the cultural unity of Africa. We are not the same. No group of humans are the same, even within the groups culturally. But there are similarities and there are enough things that are common 
to forge uh, out of common cultural ties, common political uh, organizing strength to allow us to move in concert, which is what the United States of America has always been terrified of. In fact, last week, um, at the behest of one of our uh, dear Nubian sisters, um, Doku, who has done so much work, um, I actually had a conversation, I guess it's maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, with many of the Black employees at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And we talked about, you know, what it means to be Black at the FBI. And of course, I'm not going to shy away from conversations. So we talked about how Black people got to the FBI, which of course, everybody Black at the FBI knows. You know, those first agents were hired, not even special agents. It took a great deal of time before they made them formally. You know, we talked about that last summer. We talked about the United States versus Billy Holiday. You know, but they were hired because they couldn't send white people into these Black communities to spy on them and to disrupt them. So, you know, whether it be the Garvey movement, um, and by the way, if you haven't signed a petition uh, or, or gone to the White House website and gone under the petition and say, exonerate Marcus Garvey, we got to get to 100,000 in the next couple of weeks. Before, we got to do it before the end of the month. Yeah, uh, Dr. Julius Garvey will be on my show on Monday again. Oh, excellent. Just see everything working in divine order. Yeah, doc, he he, he going to bring it home. And of course, if everybody who listens to you does that and passes it on, we're done that day. So let's just, I mean, we passed done. It just, you know, you got to pass it on, but please sign it and pass it on. Excellent, excellent. But I mean, this is how they get there. And so there's an international dimension to that as well. As we know, the, with the CIA, the destabilizing of African countries, uh, governments. Um, I was talking, I'm trying to think who, remember, who was I? Oh, of course, yeah, Alice Wyndham, who, of course, made transition. We talked about her last week. Her uh, her right is uh, Monday, the 21st, in, um, in, in, in St. Louis. And today is the 19th. Huh. Yep. February 19th, 1965. Malcolm X is assassinated at the Audubon Ballroom. And, of course, Alice Wyndham told, used to tell the stories of how, you know, they, they figured out a way to get Malcolm in to see Kwame Nkrumah when he came to Ghana through Shirley Graham Du Bois, who met Malcolm and said, okay, I like him. And then she went and got Nkrumah and they were able to make the introduction. Uh, but Nkrumah was, uh, you know, when Malcolm came from the meeting, uh, uh, Mama Alice would be like, she was like, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't upbeat. He wasn't as ebullient as he normally was. And he certainly was before he went in because he was trying to meet with all these African heads to stay. You know, he had just come from Cairo. And Nkrumah was married to Fatima, who was the sister of Gamel Nasser who was the head of Egypt at the time. And he had just left, Malcolm had just left. Remember, they're setting up something called the Organization of Afro-American Unity. This is where the point going in terms of this political strength that can be built. And Malcolm was almost like, he wasn't almost like, he was Black America's ambassador in Africa. This is 1964. He's traveling all over the continent. He's been to Nigeria. He comes to Ghana. He's now in Egypt. Alice is going to see him again in Ethiopia when he tries to go see Haile Selassie. So the United States, the social structure of the United States and the global system, France, England, they're monitoring this guy the whole time because they know that if we get together, it's a wrap. It is a wrap for this white world system. Now, I'm saying all that as a prelude to what you've raised in terms of what the future may look like if we survive nuclear winter, which is a very real threat. They can't do what they did before because they got to jump on Africa because as Howard writes in Blowing in Blackness, there was no Africa as we know it now. If you're not a Santi, 
dealing with the Portuguese, then the Dutch, then the English, and so forth. If you're not Yoruba, dealing with the English. If you're not Congo, dealing with the Portuguese, then the English. In other words, if you're not one of those clusters of African people who by that time, now we're talking about the late 15th, 16th centuries, hadn't developed these broader territorial kind of state formations as your governance structure, if you are part of the millions, the vast majority of African people who are small state or small or even stateless formations, village-based people, networks of villages like the Igbo and others, then when you get set upon by people who come from outside who have a plan for taking all of y'all, two things occur. They have to jump on you and and Howard writes about this beautifully toward the, the middle of the book. What you engen what you see engendered in Africa is something that prior to that, Sheikh Anta Joke would say this, I think Oyewanka Iwumi would say this, I think Ifi Amyadume would say this, two sisters who are critical of some of Sheikh Anta Joke's work, particularly Amyadume, but also see this sense of this cultural unity, this underlying cultural unity. You undermine what Joke would say was a cultural predisposition to generosity. Because, see, here's the thing. In Europe, you're resource poor at this time. You don't really have anything the world wants. Everything you going out and finding, gold, pepper, spices, it's come from other people. They say, well, what y'all got, Europe? Oh, uh, we got some glass beads, nasty-ass codfish, uh, some clodhopper shoes. Um, well, here go, we got some, what's this? Oh, that's brass. Oh, we like those brass bracelets. The Portuguese had that. That's what they were bringing in to trade with the Africans on the coast of Ghana when they set up Elmina, the mine, for a century plus before they start pulling Africans out. And so, but mostly don't have anything. Now, when you come to the continent of Africa, what you have is, particularly in the Western Sudan, or even the Sahel, the Sahel is the grass belt that goes from west to east or east to west, all the way. You see, you have the Sahara, the ocean of sand, and beneath the Sahara, you've got a expansive belt of grass, no mountain ranges. So you can walk basically all the way across the continent. So if you get in a beef with somebody, you just move. If you ain't got the weight to fight them, you just move. And even then, conflicts are not as regular as they are in Europe because they crowded up, land poor, resource poor, people poor. This, Those are the three categories John Henry Clark used to talk about. He said Europe was land poor, resource poor, and people poor. So they looking to get out and look for something, right? But what happens in, in, in on the continent, and Howard writes about this, and he's in the tradition of all these writers, all these teachers who have been talking about this now for a very long time. He says, when you have all this land, you have a great deal of resources, the value you place in land, which is not owned, like if you have the hierarchical, dynastic, royal base like Ghana, Mali, Songhai, the ones we talk about, the empires, and you know, we had to be very critical of ourselves even when we lift that over the vast majority of Africans who didn't live in those formations. You might say, well, it all belongs to the king or it all belongs to the crown. But that's a very different thing than saying that in Europe because what that means, say, among the Ashanti means is the rulers are custodians of the resources for the people. And if you're not using it right, the people can come in and intervene. This is Chancellor Williams writing in Destruction of Black Civilization, among many other things. But the point I was going to make is the value you place is in people, not even the land. So you got all this land. Who you got to farm it? I need more people. So either I'm going to marry some more people 
and we're going to make some more people. And while we're doing that, if we get in a skirmish, we're going to take the people we beat and integrate them into society. Oh, so you got slaves. Well, you call them slaves and yeah, it is unfree labor. But once we bring them in, we do everything we can to make them part of our family. And they're not in that condition forever. And their children don't inherit the condition. So it's a very different thing. But the value is in people. The Europeans are like, yeah, value people here too. So let's trade. Okay. So they start sending Africans, these continental Africans, under duress eventually. But initially, they're trading people, even though people is the resource they have. Well, slowly as some of them begin to discover, you don't mean what we mean. They pull back. They try to pull back, but by then it's too late because that second thing, as I said, uh, that that Sheikh Andrejot would say, undermine the culture of unity is once you embed with the Portuguese, with the, with the Spanish, with the French, with the Dutch, with the English, once you're in bed with them and they begin to exert this pressure on you, we're talking about this in the context of war, which I think we should get into deeply next week. We can talk very specific about Ukraine and China and Russia and the United States and all this cosplay stuff that if you read the newspapers or watch television and news here, you will have no idea what's going on. The, the, the fact is that these European countries that are growing fat and strong, they're literally is no England. There is no Dutch East India, Dutch West India companies. There's certainly no Portugal and Spain without Africa because this is allowing them from the precious metals, gold and stuff, to then they come across the Atlantic and set up the plantation system that they experimented on on the islands of West Africa, which means now you move from gold to sugar, coffee, caffeine, sugar, coffee, sent to England, increasing the caloric intake of the workers, enabling them to work longer days to sustain themselves. And then eventually you get to the wool factories and then you get, boom, the Industrial Revolution. And as Howard mentions in this book, you get the coffee shop. Where the coffee shop come from? They had coffee and sugar and they were sitting there drinking it and somebody decided that they're going to make a shop for them to do that. And while they were sitting there drinking and talking, they understood, huh, you know, they're talking about the news of the day. Let me grab some paper and start writing some stuff down the birth of the newspaper yes ladies and gentlemen africa the point is that on all that's going on in africa this is the thing that's being corroded and undermined tying it all to the brother from kenya who asked the question yesterday what's being undermined is the is the culture of generosity i don't want no beef i'd rather just go over here than beef with you but now it's like when you see a stranger you, would you really put your hands on me? Who are your people? Who are your family? This question of suspicion. So that becomes a retardant. It retards development. Because one other thing Howard points out, which is very interesting. He said, he, he says, let's do a thought exercise. Imagine, imagine what Africa would have had, what would have happened on the continent of Africa. It's one fifth of the world's land mass. It's going to have most of the people, more people in, the, in Africa than anywhere, right? What would have happened in Africa had state formation taking, taken a natural course of continued, sustained, I hate to use the word development because we assume that more is better than less, but let's say development. Because the states in Europe developed through conflict. They're land poor, resource poor, people poor, jammed in that little part of Western Eurasia, and they're beefing with each other. That's basically the modern world system. 
30 years war, 100 years war, seven years war, French Revolution, English Revolution, <laughs> boom, 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 World War One, World War Two, <laughs> boom, 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 uh, Ukraine and Russia. But what the hell? Y'all always fighting. The Egyptians say these people fight since the time of Horus. Meaning what? The people who don't have resources fight all the time over resources. This is what Du Bois writes in 1915 in Atlantic Monthly when he writes The African Roots of the War. What y'all call it World War I? It's a fight over resources, most of them resources in Africa. They always fighting over empire. This is what Howard's writing about. They're fighting over empire. All these beefs, you call it the Seven Years' War or the Thirty Years' War or the Hundred Years' War in Europe, and then they take the beef over the Atlantic and we learn in kindergarten is a damn French and Indian war. It's war. They fight each other. No, they have wars in Africa. Yeah, they had wars in Africa. They had a-holes in Africa. They had all kind of crazy stuff in Africa that we need to think about. But what they didn't have were the standing armies beat your ass fights in Europe. And what they didn't have was this culture of mutual suspicion where you frisk somebody <laughs> When you frisk somebody, when you run up on them, and y'all been doing that since the Romans, that's called a handshake. <laughs> you frisking somebody. You ain't got nothing in your hand, do you? I want y'all to think about that. Because in th th this, this cultural notion of extending your hand, they ain't extending your hand in friendship. I'm frisking you. Contrast that with the Africans. Bring it in. Bring it in. Meaning I'm hugging you. I'm not trying to, I ain't trying to frisk you. And the Ro Romans is like this, bruh. Let me. They gonna feel all up on your forearm shit. You gotta be clear. You ain't got a rock. And in fact, Howard, it's so funny. Come on back here because yeah. one of the things he writes about in Born in Blackness, I love. It. He says when the Portuguese came and they first encountered the Africans, they took them to one of the local rulers. And he says the black man extended his, the white man extended his hand. The black man took his hand, grabbed his hand, and snapped the finger on the hand. I said, don't y'all know we never stop being Africans. <laughs> This is like the 16th century. <laughs> I never thought about that. You know, all of the things we do. I'm going to share something with you. So yesterday um, in, in my person, my class, my journalism class. Yeah. Uh, and Domati, shout out to Domati Pongo, Ghanaian brother who yeah. works for MTV News. He came. He was the special guest in my class yesterday. But before he got there, you know, I was grading papers live in, in you know, in class and um. One of the students described somebody as, you know, beautiful and brilliant or whatever. I said, no, you have to show, not tell. What does beautiful look like? What is beautiful? Because beautiful to me could be different from beautiful to you, just like age. You know, I wouldn't describe somebody as old or young. You give their age because to a 70-year-old, you know, a 90-year-old is old, maybe to most of us. But to a 90-year-old, a 70-year-old is young, you know, you know, right. to a 30-year-old, a 15-year-old is young, but to a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old is old. So you don't say old, young. You don't say beautiful, whatever. So I went around the class and I have a very, this is one of my most diverse classes ever. And I asked them who's sexy to them, right? <laughs> so so first, you know, I was like, all right, people said it's Paul Rudd. I ain't get a vote in that. So oh, I'm, I'm yeah, okay. yeah, I'm like, they want some bull crap. So I went around the room and I have um, students from everywhere. And we have a, a, a white woman who is um, monitoring my class. She's um, auditing and she's, you know, in her 60s or something. Okay. She said Idris Elba. And I was like, okay, all right, all right, I'll accept it. I'll accept. It. So I get to the, the there's a girl from China and she said, I don't know, I think her American name, because she was saying her name in Chinese and Cantonese. Um, I think she's Cantonese, oh, Mandarin. Okay. She said Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, what? She said, yeah. 
all Chinese, Marilyn Monroe is the epitome of sexy. We don't think of ourselves as sexy. We think, we don't think of ourselves as sexy, our bodies. Are, and I was right. bugging. I was like, you can't name me one Chinese person that you think. She said, Marilyn Monroe. And I thought about the exportation, you know, of even how we see things. Like we don't even think about why do we think this person's good looking or beautiful? Why is this the standard of beauty? This is what's foisted upon. I'm like, they exported that all the way to mainland China. That's crazy to oh, me. Of course. That's why they closed China. Oh my God. I'm like, you don't even like I'm saying we gotta have cultural revolution because they the British went over there. Can you imagine Great Britain thinking they could take over China? But of course, that's the mentality. And when you say they can't do it again, they can't do it again for any number of factors. As you were talking, I thought about this. This is something Ayikwe Arma and his collective at uh San uh, at Per Ankh published called um Semeket Ia on Love Sublime, a multilingual translation of an ancient African love poem. It's from ancient Egypt. By multilingual, they take the hieroglyphs from ancient Egypt, ancient Egypt. Hey, look, y'all, because Dr. Beatty started his Metanetra class. And look, we could do this in Nubia. Those of you not yet in Nubia, this is where y'all need to come on over the narrative, because this is what we this is the thing we can get into. They then do the transliteration. This is a team, it takes a team. So the transliteration here is Waru Nwunewu Ta Simeket Ib It. Then they translate from the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs to Akan. the transliteration to Akan. Ghana. Now, if you're in Ghana, you speak to Bambara, to English on Love Sublime. That's where you see to French, Hausa, Kikongo, Kiswahili, Portuguese, Pular. Everybody can read Wolof, Yoruba, and Isisulu. Meaning what? The language of Africa. The, the ancient language is one of the oldest languages in the world, if not the oldest language, is an African language. And they begin to translate it in African languages. And for those of us who were colonized, they translated into some of the European languages. But I'm bringing all that up to say this. When you read it, you, what you'll find is that Black people have always loved, watch this. Mm. <laughs> okay, here we go. set heher ishit nebu. Nebu means gold. The English translation, her arms put gold to shame. These ancient Egyptians. Then it says, her fingers are like the lotus. In other words, you're going, now watch this. Lord have mercy. Look at these Negroes. Bidesh Perawi Merorit Set Hiriib. Rounded her behind, delicate her waist. Her thighs extend her beauty. This is these Egyptian elegant her motion as she glides on work on earth. She won my heart with her embrace. She makes the neck of every man turn round at sight of her. How long have these black people been black? Now, but here's the thing though: they're not just talking about physicality. Now they're talking about character. Here's the sister talking about the brother she loves. Uh, ready if and e kite, he's made sickness seize hold of me. If there's a cure for this, I don't want it. I don't want it. Look, Diana Ross, that ain't new love hangover. This right here is 4,500 years ago. He's made sickness seize hold of me, goes on, and yet he lives close to my mother's house. But I cannot go visit him. As for my mother, she's no doubt wise to warn me. Give up the idea. 
Don't think of seeing him. See, it tears my heart just to think of him. I'm ravished by love of him. Little does he know how I yearn to embrace him or he would send to my mother. Oh, my brother, I'm your promised one, destined by the gold goddess of women. Come to me. Let me see your beauty. My mother and father would be overjoyed. Pause. Oh. Shakespeare, bruh. Love your language. You elevated English. Learned a lot from you. We'll continue to learn a lot from you. I don't find you boring at all. I think you're fascinating, but we need you to go stand over in the corner while we talk to our ancestors without interpreters. Why? Because you fell in love with the cat. And if he knew I loved him this much, he would come to me. Oh, no, that's what you do in Europe. He would come to my mother and father. I said, I'm the one that's been sent by the goddess and my mother and father would be overjoyed. Meaning what? There's a protocol. Sexy Hold is that here. Number. But sexy's in context. Yes, ma'am. Hold that book up again, please. Oh, yes, yes. On Love Sublime. Okay. And I only brought it up because I never knew that the handshake was a frisk until today. And I'm like, what else did they give us that we just do and we don't even think about it? Right. Like, thank you. Right. You know, well, they gave us the handshake and we re and we converted it back into an embrace. Yes, yes. Because y'all not going what you're not gonna do is take our culture from us completely. You tried, but we figured out ways to preserve it. And of course, now again, you know, those of you who are not in there, y'all better get on up on the level. Why? Because we got Dr. Mario Beatty, who is the finest American student of Theophilo Benga, finest African born in America, who is in conversation with Aikwe Arma and the Per Ankh people. Who, and imagine this if you can learn the hieroglyphs, and I, I assure you, you can, we've taught it to children. I'm talking about babies, like two, three years old. In fact, they got another book, Per Ankh, called Hieroglyphs for Babies. Beatty can teach it. I've seen him teach it three, four-year-olds. Because, you know, at that, at that age, they pick up everything quick. If you learn the hieroglyphs and you already speak Swahili or Igbo, you already speak Yoruba, then you're on the team doing that translation. We can take it past seven or eight and go to 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 or 200 or 300 languages. In other words, that's what we have to do. Now, if you ask someone in that kind of cultural posture what it means to be sexy, they may describe what they like physically. They may describe that, but they would also say, yeah, but we, uh, what does that got to do with love? Oh, okay then. Well, what do you find beautiful? <laughs> okay. Well, that's not just physical. Because if you read this, they'll start describing character traits. Here's the thing. One of the words in ancient Egyptian, um, love is mer, M-R. We saw it in there, meru, meri, rather, love, beloved. Right? Mary Kare, beloved is the heart of Ra, or the soul of Ra, the Mary Kare. That was one of the names of Hatshepsut, uh, the, the, the Pharaoh, the sister who was fair, one of the sisters who was Pharaohs over, over the year, one of the Pharaohs over the years. But mer is, you see the picture, it's a picture of a, of a, of a backhoe. Uh, let me see. I only have pencils here now. I don't have pens, uh, so I might not be able to get a get a good. I think I can get a good glyph here. I'm just going to draw a quick, uh, and I'll draw you the uh, the uh, the. All right, here we go. Not a good picture, but it's close enough. Mirror, almost like a Star Trek thing. I'm sorry. It's a backhoe. You grab it and you break up the ground. Mer is the uh, transliteration, put an E in so you can sound it out, love. That's what that means. Well, what do you do with a backhoe? What does a farmer do with a backhoe? 
break up the ground. No question. You're working. You're laboring. To love someone isn't how they look. It's what they do. Mm. So, I mean, the whole idea then that love in this society is based on physical attraction, not just the ancient Egyptians, Africans everywhere would be like, you're going to be in trouble. In fact, that would probably be the suspicion the sister is talking about here where she say, if my mama knew, it would be a problem. Why? Because she's going to assume that's chemical, biological. So now if you knew and if you got the character, then you come to my mama know mm. and let them feel your spirit and then say, I'm overjoyed. OK, I thought it was just she was attracted to the man booty or his face or whatever, like the hair, the nose. But I realize now it's the character. This is this is the Af this, people say, there ain't no African culture. OK, fine. Thank you, because you know, I've never met the person who understood and researched everything in the world. But since you're so hot to say there's no African culture, let's go test it. Come on. I wish, I, I wish we had this conversation yesterday because I was just doing that demonstration to prove that everybody has a different vision of what is beauty. And that's true. Right. But this takes it to a whole other level when we bring in character and everything. Oh, I guess we did just play for past Valentine's Day, right? So that's good that we having this conversation because Black Love Day was the day before. Io Handy here in D.C. started that Black Love Day. So that's good. It's good to have this conversation today. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Go ahead. Go, go back. Because I'm sorry. I interrupted. I was just mind blown about the handshake and the frisking and how the exportation of all of these weird things that we just do and don't think about, with, which is why this space is so important to be mindful. You know, you yeah. got me reading the, the, the monk who may transition uh, about mindfulness. You know, yeah. we have to be mindful about why we do all of the things and whether colonization and, uh, and, you know, indoctrination is part of the habits that we have, even how we interact with one another. Has that been foisted upon us, how we treat each other, the of disrespect course. that some of us have? Is that part of is that part of the plan? Like, are we doing this out of naturalness or, or because mm. it's been planted in us to be suspicious of one another to treat men and women differently or to, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm just you. grateful. Thank you. No, me too. Thank you. No, thank you. We, we, as I said, we're building this, we're all building it collectively. And, you know, Saturdays have come to be a very special convening. And so I'm deeply grateful to you for even for making this space because this isn't the first time we've had these conversations. This isn't the only place we have these conversations, but one of the challenges we have is the question of being able to see and communicate with each other. Um, yesterday, I was uh, fortunate, very happy, in fact, thrilled for the first time since this sickness hit us, this, 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 this virus, to get down to and be in community with the uh, young cats at the Carter G. Woodson Institute uh, um, learning community at, at Dunbar High School um, and my sister Nubia Green Rogers who is the leader of that crew of faculty and with the, with the faculty there and with the students uh, they had Sankofa week this week they watched the film Sankofa and then they had a conversation they, 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 they the highlight of yesterday was they came together in the auditorium and I love going to Dunbar in fact um, Anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that. That's a, that's probably a, t a job for narrative and newbie. In fact, we were talking about it yesterday uh, to get more involved with with these schools around the, around the world. I start to say the country. It's kind of silly to say because we global, but in the conversation, uh, the students had seen the film. They had had conversations about it, and 
we were joined by Shrikiana Aina, who's co-producer, of course, the wife of Holly Garima, the filmmakers. They're the two filmmakers, the woman and man who pulled together the team that made Sankofa. And it was a pan-African film. She was telling the students about how when they were in Ghana filming, that the cats who brought the, the camera equipment, who were operating the camera equipment, they were from Burkina Faso. Uh, some of the grips and other folk, they spoke French. Uh, some of the other folk, well, of course, were continental Africans. You had Africans from the United States. You had Africans from the Caribbean. You had Africans from Europe. They all converged on there. And the young people were like, well, you know, they were asking, asking her questions about funding and resources and this kind of thing. And she said, it's completely black. Everything was black. She said, we were down as a finalist for the big film festival in Berlin. Everybody thought we were going to win. They had this big write-up. Uh, and we went to the international film festivals. It's like the major one. Uh, we didn't win, but they had all these European distributors who wanted to distribute the film. Not one American distributor. This is 1993. And uh, so I asked the students, I said, why do you think that uh, Miss Aina could get and uh, Baba Garima couldn't get distributed hmm. I said were there any black movies distributed in 1993 in the United States yeah okay so well, y'all not old enough to remember them so what kind of movies were coming out in the 90s oh booty call straight out not straight out of Compton boys in the hood I guess that's a little bit earlier but yeah they picked the movies they want you to see Sankofa had to be distributed in black communities and I said I can tell you all because you know, I remember when I saw it, I first saw it in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Black Expo. They were going from city to city. And I said, this big, and, and Dunbar has a beautiful, the new Dunbar building has a beautiful auditorium. I said, an auditorium like this that might seat five, 600 people. I said, if it was being screened here, not only would every seat here be filled, there'd be at least this many people outside trying to get in. They'd have to keep adding shows. That's what happened because black people in Detroit and LA, black people in Oakland and Philly, black people in New York and Atlanta, it, the network went into action because it's a film on resistance. And I, and I bring all that up to say that that conversation I'm relating to you right now, if some of you all are thinking, man, I wish I could have been there. The point is that because we have this now, and because we have different interlocking dimensions of it now, we have the capacity to enhance that. And that's what platform is about. Because right now, and this is what we were talking about yesterday, we were both talking about all three of us, all of us, in fact, because the faculty joined us and we were, it was just a beautiful conversation. And I'm deeply grateful always to the educators, always, and especially at Dunbar. I mean, that's my heart. We were talking about that. But the whole point of that conversation is this. Uh, and and Shrikiana told him that. She said, you see those things y'all got in your hands? Those cell phones? So we didn't have those. She said, that could be a good thing. Because y'all, and then she explained the difference between 16 millimeter film, film, 70 millimeter film, how you edit a film, and then you send it off a process and they return you with the reel with all the edits. Now it's a single thing. I mean, and how much money that costs and how you had to raise money, how they were raising money and how the black black people funded this film, which means you got to get it as you go. You got to get it as you go. And she said, but now y'all got these phones. And she said, how many of y'all are filmmakers? A few people put their hands up. I said, look at these young people. And then the sister sitting next to me, one of the teachers said, they all be on Instagram. I said, does Insta story count? Shree. <laughs> he like, I don't know. They all doing Insta stories and TikTok videos. And say, but the problem is they're all doing that. Meaning what? How do you discern 
between one and the million others that got uploaded since we started having this conversation a few minutes ago. And that's where being able to break through the noise is critical. Your years of platform building with people who hear your voice every day, add it to a platform where people can see these conversations every day, add it to a platform which is deliberately curated and built where we can have that space to work and think and grow together. And then from that, develop things and break through the rest of the noise and more and more people come. That can only be accomplished through a deep love for Black people. And it's not a romantic love. Even the word romantic. I mean, you know, I'm not even going to get into that. Romance. That should tell you, you know, everybody go look up romance and see what the etymology of that word is. I'm going to tell you it's not African. Anyway, or Asian, or indigenous, or Western Hemisphere, or Arabic, you know what I'm saying? But the point is that that's not based in the type of thing that is oriented around what something else or somebody else can do for me, but what I can do for somebody else. The thing that would have somebody approach the, the community of somebody they think they're falling in love with and demonstrate to that community what you can do for them. Because, you know, families get married in Africa. The idea of eloping? Yeah, you say that for Shakespeare. But you keep pushing that because the West will often have you think that love and romance is an individual concern. And so taking it all the way back to the beginning, a few minutes ago when we started talking and you woke up this morning, I think probably as all of us did somewhere in our mind or spirits, but you woke up with the front of your mind because you were constantly in dialogue and constantly having to engage this world on a very different level with that little three-letter word on your mind, war. And then, you know, you realize that when Marvin Gaye says, war is not the answer, for only love can conquer hate. He's not talking about romantic love. He's talking about this kind of love, labor. You got to fight for that and not fight with your fists, fight with the generosity of spirit. You know we've got to find a way. To bring some loving here today. Oh, 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 picket lines and picket signs. Don't punish me with brutality. He's like, talk to me so you can see. Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? And we talked about that when he releases that album, The Vietnam War. Tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. What Marvin Gaye is saying is that you don't you don't stop conflict by not talking. And I ain't talking about this bullshit diplomacy because they want to fight. They've been fighting since the time of Horus. This is what the Egyptians would say about the vile Amu. Them people who came out the desert who ain't got nothing, which means they think they ain't got nothing to lose. And you treat kind to feed them. And every time you feed them, they plot know how to take the rest of your stuff. Yeah, man, Samusa. This is very nice. This gold, very nice. Now, where do you get this gold from? You can see the wheels spinning in these funky Portuguese. Where do they get the gold from? I mean, this is a nice thing. And we gave you, but uh, where do you get to go? Show me where you get to go. Meanwhile, you signaling back now. You get the guns ready. I don't nobody even know what y'all doing. Man, y'all some nasty people in the world. But guess what? War is not the answer. So we're going to try to fix y'all 
even as we are putting ourselves in harm's way. But here's where we're coming back again to this question of what was raised in the conversation that the Nubians, the Nubians were having with Howard French yesterday. We live in a world where we have been knocked off of what might have emerged naturally in places in the world that didn't come from cultures that oriented the question of conquest, the question of empire building. Because we've been knocked off that and holding on by our fingernails often to a different set of cultural commitments and frameworks that were drawn into that mess called the modern world system. Part of our challenge is creating space where we can be quiet enough for us to think. That's what narrative in Nubia is. It's a place where we can be very deliberate. And then as we move into the face, places where people ha don't have, haven't been able to take the time or haven't chosen to take the time, often really haven't had the time to think, we then invite them into that other space at their pace. So when we turn this loose into the universe and people see it and they sample it and they think about it, or they'll pause it and write down a book title or write down something they thought about, that is the process of building community because there is no such thing as community, black, white, or polka dot. You have to build it. You have to build it. And so, um, you know, thinking about that today in the context of, um, in the context of something I got to do a little bit later today, today is this, uh, yesterday and today is, it marks the 17th, um, the 17th Jacob Hudson Carruthers uh, conference in Chicago. Of course, it's going to be virtual. So um, if it weren't virtual, I would more likely than not be in Chicago today. But again, COVID has created a space where we can do, we've done this now 102 times and, and we're going to keep doing it. And, and now we have narrative in Nubia where we just stretch out, you know, and by the way, uh, Nubians, we know that Monday night is our uh, final week on W.E.B. Du Bois, The Souls of Black Folk. Um, last week, all the weeks, but last week, again, differently powerful, such conversations. Prof, I mean, what did you think about that sister who, who, uh, who came in from Canada? Wasn't that something? That was Monday night. Monday night. And, and dropped that religious, is that the one that, that, um, which, cause I'm, which one? Oh, she, she, she actually, she was in shuffle along. She, um. Okay. All right. In fact, she is a um fascinating, fascinating sister, uh Lisa Latouche. She is a professional tap dancer of African descent. She um lives in she's from Canada, she's in Calgary. And so when she came in, you all if you're not in narrative of Nubia, you don't know we on Monday when we do when we have conversations yesterday too, with Howard French, same thing. You know, Nubians jump in and then we have these voice to voice conversations. And of course, the chat just, I mean, becomes a whole nother level. Every every time there's a convening, there's another book written in the chat. And so we've been going very. Uh, Everyone, everyone's telling me the dancer, the dancer, the tap dancer. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, Lisa, Lisa Latouche. And, and she, uh, choreographer, uh, director, mother, she and her young one now living in Calgary and where she's from, but she has cycled through you know, the hemisphere in many ways. And of course, spent time in New York where she was in the cast of Shuffle Along. Shuffle Along was the first Broadway production of an African written, directed, produced, uh, well, written and directed uh, show, Noble Sissel. And we talked about that. I, we were joking because Uraeus, of course, in Baltimore, Noble Sissel, UB Blake 
his partner were uh uh were are from baltimore uh ub blake is and so what you see is that as lisa was talking what she came in to talk about was of course the the lack of tap dancers black tap dancers how that's our tradition and how now they've made it so pricey and costly that you can't do it and we got into this whole question of genealogy because of course if you are into dance and i said it's very much like continental african dance that we have here in the, in, in in the western hemisphere and around the world now we've been able to preserve the the idea is you don't just come into dance you come into dance through somebody so there's a genealogy you're coming in through family tap is very similar Tap is very simple. We talked about that. But the crazy thing was we opened the conversation, you know, as we kind of settling into the conversation and we were reading, we we're reading Souls of Black Folk. And last week we were in uh, the, la the, 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 the third week we did um, of the quest of the Golden Fleece, which is about cotton and the cotton, uh, the tragedy of cotton and crazy enough Howard French writes about that as well right I mean we talk about in a in born in blackness it starts with gold it moves then to sugar and coffee and indigo and all the other things they do then it moves to cotton I'm sorry starts with gold moves to people moves to sugar cotton and all commodities they got people doing cotton then begins to overwhelm and then, of course, you get into the 19th, well, you're in the 19th century. Then you come into this period where the Europeans have lost their Western uh, colonies. And now they over there in Europe fighting each other over the remaining empire they tried to build, whether it be China, whether it be the continent of Africa. And then you come into the 22nd, uh, 21st century. Hopefully the species will make it to the 22nd. Again, I'm optimistic, but I'm optimistic in a way that says if the ball blows up, we just move on into the next spiritual cycle. So I ain't necessarily got my optimism in the continued existence of the human species because these people here may just blow it up. But as we were talking, we did the Sons of Master and Man, which is about value in bodies in enslavement and then reconstruction in Georgia, which is fascinating. I think about that. In fact, we made the connection on Monday night between the fact that he took a county in Georgia where Albany, city of Albany is. And what Du Bois said using the Atlanta University studies that you've been, you know, we've been talking about. Uh, he says, you know, he's, he basically writes this chapter based on the Atlanta University studies. Several of them, in fact, are like that. On the Faith of the Fathers, chapter 10 is from that. His work on their work on the Atlanta University on the black church at the turn of the century. But in this chapter um, on the sons of master and man, what Du Bois is writing about, he starts by saying, for example, that in this county, the value in that county that was attributed to resources in that county before the Civil War was about $5 million. $5 million, two and a half million or so, I think that was the number, maybe two million. Uh, no, five and a half, five and a half million dollars. Two and a half million was in the land. Three million was in the enslaved Africans, which is consistent when you realize that on the eve of the Civil War, 1861, the bodies of enslaved Black people in the United States were worth more than all the money and real property in the United States combined. He says, so you know what happened? After the Civil War, they lost that $3 million. Them people went from property to people. And the land value dropped by half a million dollars. So now they resource pool. And it's like, wow. So you see how they locked in 
debt penage, what he calls sharecropping. He walks us through that in Souls of Black Folk. So, you know, we were talking about it and say, you know, let's contrast that to this minstrel soul we just saw on Sunday. I know some of y'all going to be upset by this, but good, good. That's a good thing. Okay, when I leave here, I got to go to the Carruthers Conference. And one thing is we're going to talk about at the Carruthers Conference when I talk about Baba Jetty, Jetty Shemshu Jehudi, the one who speaks as a follower of Jehudi. And I'm trained by Jacob Carruthers. And one of the things he talks about is he, he in fact, that's why I pulled one of my editions of Sundiata, the three Mandinka versions uh, version, where you got three different jollies telling the story of Sundiata. I'm talking about genealogy. But two of them start there telling the story of Mali by saying, this is me. This is who I was trained by. This is who he was trained by. This is who he was trained by. <laughs> this is who we, in other words, African memory is very much a genealogy. It ain't just busted in because you want to know something. No, you got to come in with somebody, whether it be trap tradition, African dance tradition, historical tradition, intellectual tradition. And so um, if you're upset about what I'm about to say, it's okay. Because the person that trained me, Jacob Carruthers, was also the inventor, to my knowledge, of something that uh, his wife, Ife, his community, the Comedic Institute, where he did his practice and so many others, they refer to as black football. So if you watch two football teams playing, you really don't care who wins until you do the sweep of who's there. So if one got a black coach, that's your team. Okay, huh? No, no, you start with the quarterback. See, they from a different era. Black quarterback, I'm with them. Black quarterback, okay, they both got black quarterbacks. Okay, one of them got a black coach. Okay, let me see. Uh, positions, coaches, how many? Can you looking for black football. So, of course, nobody has been watching the Super Bowl anyway yesterday, but uh, last week. But we talked about that on Monday as it relates to Du Bois, souls of black folk, saying when... Black people freed themselves in the context of the Civil War. All that value disappeared, which means these white boys are going to try to come back and capture some of that value in black bodies. And as I watched those Negroes parade in a clip I saw in social media, parading across that uh, Super Bowl stage in prison outfits with them souped up uh, lowrider cars in front and bouncing around on the stage, two things came to mind. That Psalm that Frederick Douglass quotes, in uh in uh what to the slave is the fourth of july they that carried us up off captive required of us a song and the other thing that, that that occurred to me was if they paid each one of you negroes a million dollars a piece that wouldn't be nothing they covered that in how many commercials <laughs> today in other words the value in black bodies they're going to continue to extract from you just like after enslavement, when they literally counted value on your literal body, on your capacity to labor or to have babies and all this kind of thing. After the war was over, they immediately tried to figure out how to retain value. And guess what? In 2022, you're dancing, Negroes. They figured out, you know what you are? You're a cultural sharecropper. You're a cultural debt pen is what you are. You're a damn dancer for capitalism. And they extracted more value out of your dancing Super Bowl behind. Shout out to Jay-Z. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Nah, bruh. You ain't a businessman. Empire is businessman. Now you go handle your business. Damn. Because guess what? You still count your dollars, which means you ain't even in the game. And the point is that they extracted more value out of y'all than they got out of your ancestors who were enslaved. Your bodies were worth more to them Negro, to them people who decided, you know what? They ain't gonna do nothing to us. We got scared for about 15 minutes, two summers ago. Well, we're past that. So they're gonna watch, they're gonna buy, they're gonna talk, 
why should we respect them? And so when a brother from Kenya asks Howard French, should I think of myself as Kenyan? I don't have any problem with people embracing their country if they're African or the Caribbean. If you want to embrace the United States of America, that's on you too. That's on you too. But that doesn't preclude you from embracing African people worldwide. Because Putin and Biden, they part of the same squad. They're going to have some internal beefs. But trust, that's posturing. That's posturing. They, they sharp elbowing each other. But ultimately, they will form like Voltron if in another part of the world, something that they have a mutual interest in emerges. And if you want to see, well, anyway, I'm not going to get too deep in that. We'll talk about that next week. We will try to disaggregate a lot of this stuff. But, um, you know, when war was on your mind this morning, Professor, uh, Professor Hunter, I think war, that little three-letter word, which is a kind of point of entry to human relations, not just to human relations, but to relations in the cosmos, relations in nature, becomes a lens. And we'll talk more about this next week because we'll be one step closer to war, or maybe we won't be here or whatever. But it'll give people time to really, you know, maybe read up and do some work on their own, and then we'll come back and have this conversation. But we're always at war. We're always at war. One of the things that hmm, I don't think I have it right here. I had to pull it because I'm going to talk about it today. And I don't know what I did with it. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Um, you know, I've mentioned this book before, but one of the things I'm going to draw from and talking about Dr. Carell's day is his 1999 book, Intellectual Warfare. This is a very important work, Jacob Carell's Intellectual Warfare. Um, he, as Asa Heer said about him, he had the ability to render valid problem definitions and he was able to communicate difficult and complex concepts in a way that people could grasp them. He would attribute part of that ability to his family, to his teachers, and to an elder that he met who became one of his jagnas, the great John Henry Clark. And I would attribute my desire to acquire that kind of and practice that kind of ability to John Henry Clark as well, and also to Jacob Carruthers and Anderson Thompson and the rest of them. So in me using war as a metaphor this morning and us having this conversation, I think for me, that's a point of entry for us to continue as we've gone week by week to rethink human social relations while standing in this vast foundation of Africana ways of knowing, cultural meaning making, movement and memory. In other words, Standing in that vast foundation, which is complex, sometimes contradictory, often resonant in terms of having similarities and cultural unities, standing in that foundation and then looking at the world as it is and trying to intervene in places where there is war, where there is conflict, sometimes where it looks that conflict and war looks like us and saying, no, there are better ways and this isn't theoretical. This isn't just aspirational. This is based on experience. This is based on what we have seen and not just on the experiences of trauma over the last several centuries, but on the much, 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 much longer arc of thinking, of working together, of in another book published by um, Aikwe Arma and his crew at, at Perank, uh, Wat M. Shemsu, in engaging in the way of companions. We are companions. 
We're not following some person. We are moving together and people take the lead based on their expertise. But what keeps us together is this trust, is this reconnected sense of shared responsibility, is this love, is this love, but not romantic love. So that's just kind of just broadly some of the things I'm thinking about today is I'm still cooking the Carruthers piece, but I'll pull this Armagh book so everybody can see it if I can get to it. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And what, what does your cooking look like? Why does him sue? Okay, myth, history, and philosophy and literature. This is the African novel. Aikwe Armagh, per aunt. There's a per aunt. Well, cooking for me is, uh, <laughs> I'll keep this short because uh, one of the things we say we do is start kind of dovetailing things. Um, cooking is, I use the word cooking. It's interesting. Um, it looks like what people do when they cook. The first thing you do, if you want to mess some up, you probably need to focus, <laughs> right? Even a thing you've done a thousand times. But if you've done a thing a thousand times, you can kind of prep that. You can kind of put that together. But that means you've done it a thousand times. So repetition is very big for me. So like yesterday was a, a long day. Like I said, um, uh, how it was just crazy. I guess everybody's sitting at their computers. When when Brother French came into Nubia, we had just left each other because we did about an hour conversation on Born in Blackness. And again, my hat is off to him because that book is almost 500 pages. It's eminently readable. He is, I mean, and I'm, I'm saying that to you. Wait, let me pause. Let me ask you because you two are in the same crab. Y'all journalists. What do you think about his use of language in the book? Mm. <laughs> See, that's higher praise than I can give because you're a journalist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, most good journalists, you're, yeah. you're trained to disseminate information in the most useful way possible. The first law that I teach my students is to keep it simple. We don't need a whole lot of fancy words. You are, you are storytelling at its most base, meaning you are trying to reach the largest audience possible. Most newspapers, I know the Daily News was written on a third grade level, the New York Times was written on a sixth grade level, which means all the fancy verbiage is not necessary to convey the point. And Howard French tells a story in the most simple way possible. And he awakens your imagination just with the simple use of words. It's yeah. powerful. I agree. I agree. And to hear you say that and to hear how you teach your students, I think this is a valuable lesson for all of us, you know, and simplicity, I imagine is relative because I mean, and we talked about this one weekend, um, how the New York Times, whatever the sixth graders are today, they ain't the sixth graders of even. 10, <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. This is terrible. I'm like, this, this thing here, man, is uh, anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So anyway, so yeah, so 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 yeah, he he had just so yesterday. I mean, I got up early, you know, because I wanted to finish the book. Because before, you know, I talked to authors and I've been lining up. I mean, you know, this is all we're making the road by walking it. So in these little sessions, what I, that I've been doing, um, you know, I kind of focused in on the rhythm of interviewing authors and kind of having conversations, trying to have a space where see there, there's this tiny space where people who write books and do talk to each other. Yes. And then on the other end of the spectrum, as you know, there is this, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely worthless space where people are, <laughs> I just got this little space over here got three viewers. 
<laughs> and this face over here got three billion viewers. <laughs> and so the question is not to find a center point, but to get rid of that space. But in order to get rid of that space, that's not something you can do in a day or a weekend or two or three years. So I don't know how you. You know, but you know, you read all of the books, and I read none of the books. So that's I, not true. I, you reading no. this book? All right. Yeah, I do. So I'm. I'm <laughs> that's not true. Got them books right. behind you. Don't, don't do not, that. I'm don't not telling that. the absolute truth. But in this case, you know, that's when right. I first interviewed Howard Howard French, and I told him this, I didn't read his book because my methodology is I want you to convince me to go get it. Oh, interesting. So, so I'm I'm coming in as a complete like everybody else. I haven't read your book. I don't know. You know, I may know what it's about. I may have read the back jacket. I know, of course, I know who you are. But for me to, I want to know you convince me, convince me to buy your book. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna go tip tip tip. You know, and I'm curious. So I'm gonna ask questions about you. What led you to this? Why why are you doing it? What is it that we're supposed to get from this? And if you do a good enough job, then I'm gonna go get the book. And that's what happened with Howard French. So when he came on, I hadn't read the book. He said that one thing about Mansa Musa. And I was like, I got to get the book to read. And I was just going to read that chapter because that's, you know, but then I ended up, I was like, I can't. Then I had to go back to the beginning and then come all the way through because it was so well done. Yes. But yeah. So but you're going to read the whole book and then come. Clay Kane prepares that way, too. He's going to read everything and then watch all of the interviews. I come in as a person that is ignorant. I know nothing. And I want to leave this space with us knowing more and then being intrigued enough to go purchase your book i respect that in fact that in fact you you allow while you could do it any kind of way you want including the way clay does it or i do it you choose in some ways to do that and i think in part not in major part that allows everybody who might not even do that probably wouldn't do that either they don't have the time or they don't that allows them to have somebody who is almost like their representative that's how world. I feel. That's exactly yeah. how I feel. Yep. Yeah, you're there representative for sure. No question. And, and 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 that's what allows us to build community. Again, the end goal is to build community. I mean, I, I mean, and I'm kind of joking about the not really menstrual end of the spectrum, but I understand that's the lowest common denominator because there's a joy, there's an ability to share one's perspective and passion that doesn't require preparation in a certain way that. Uh, that that's attractive too, and so I get that. there's no accountability. You know, as you're as right. you're talking, you know, right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to be the bridge between those two. Mm -hmm. You know, by showing you can not have read a thing, but then be curious enough to open your mind to to receive the information, so that you can then go down the rabbit hole. But what's happening out there is they have no intention. You know, even the people that talk about. Uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Robert Green and the Prince that they've never read. They've never read that 13th century no, hard ass literature. You know, no. but they talk about it, you know, whether we're talking about the Italians or the people on the streets, as if it's, you know, something that they've read and they haven't read it, but they got a lot of opinions on it. I'm not going to give my opinion on something that I haven't read, which is why I ask questions. Because right. I don't have an opinion yet. Right. All right. So you've given me information. I'm going to go now, follow up, and then I'm going to come back which is what we did yesterday with bringing Howard French in. But you're right. I mean, how do we get off the, you know, the appetite for that nonsense that is rooted in absolutely no foundation, no knowledge, nothing, just opinions off people. I call it off people's dingleberries because that's really got to think to it too. <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and really challenge ourselves and hold ourselves accountable to, to like what we digest. Why are you listening to people who, 
don't read anything, don't know anything, don't even ask the right questions. They got whole ass videos and dissertation, not dissertations, because that requires scholarship. They, they, they write things with no knowledge of anything and you digest that. Well, we've been curated to do it. Right? I mean, we've been curated to do it. I mean, in the sense that, you know, in a, and it's something interesting. And again, this, this beautiful language, what um, French writes in the end of this chapter, which we were laughing about this yesterday. I said, bruh, come on, man. Chapter 14 mm-hmm. is entitled for a few acres of snow. Now, thinking about our sister Lisa, who, by the way, I should tie a bow on that. What we ended up in that conversation, which started about, you know, value and labor and, and, and souls of black folk, Lisa Latish led us on not only a history of black tap dancers, but the sister led us to the door of entering the Nubia space and pulling together that network so that she and her colleagues, as a brother in Toronto, she mentioned as well, they've been doing this work, can jailbreak that access. That's what that's why we build institutions, and that's part of what we're talking about right now. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to mention that. But uh thinking about um where she was coming into the the, the office hour space from in Nubia on Monday night, she was in Calgary, she's in Canada, she's from Canada, she's moved back up there, and she says then COVID hit. So I've been seeing all the stuff in the United States from the other side, but Y'all been following in the social structure media this whole thing about these truckers and anti-vaxxers. She said, oh, yeah, and a bunch of them got Confederate flags. I see Confederate flags in my neighborhood. Confederate flags in Canada, y'all, which, of course, because that's a, that is that is a transnational symbol of white nationalism and hatred, you understand. But I'm laughing because chapter 14 of French's uh, book, Born in Blackness, I said, bro, you <laughs> a few acres of snow. That's what I think it was Voltaire writing about the the French colony, which becomes a French and English colonies, they that's what they referred to collectively. It's what he referred to uh, Canada as. In other words, you can't have no plantations. <laughs> you can't work these black people to death. I mean, in other words, this ain't the Caribbean. This ain't even North America. It ain't Latin America. What is Canada? Yeah, a few acres of snow. In other words, <laughs> the whole idea, even Canada developed as a quote unquote first nation because you dispossess the aboriginals and you still in the afterglow of empire black labor when people say black people built the modern world you need to read born in blackness but anyway i'm going to point out this point as you raise to what we can do and what we should do french writes borrowing the famous notion of the american sociologist and political science charles tilly that quote war makes states end quote i mean howard we propose extending this thought further while placing greater emphasis on competition among Europeans outside of the continent itself. The growing capacity of the state in this era was precisely a function of violent interstate commerce. I'm sorry, competition, because they teach us in school, oh, they were traders and mercantile. No, these people was at each other's throats. Let me start that sentence again. He says the growing capacity of the state in this era, the modern era, was precisely a function of violent interstate competition in Europe over empire. And above all, in the Atlantic world, which began, as we have seen, in places like the seas off Elmina in the late 15th century. Elmina, the Mayan Ghana. Portuguese fort. Why do I raise that in terms of the answer to this question? What do we do? We got rolled on. Africans were not perfect. 
not a bunch of angels in Africa. They were human, but culturally they were distinct, even among each other, but certainly between Africa and Europe. Before Africa could continue along its path of natural human development, it was interrupted by some people who were desperate. And here we are having this conversation in English several centuries later, trying to group. I won't even say regroup, because regroup presumes we were grouped before and we weren't. Enter Jacob Hudson Carruthers, who we can do five minutes on in terms of a you should know and as an answer to a beginning answer to something we've been trying to answer now for two years, which is how do it free us and how do we move collectively? Carruthers was born on the 15th of February, 1930 in uh, near Dallas, Texas. Uh, grew up in a little all black town near there. Uh, he made transition in 2004 in Chicago. A brilliant brother, um, one of the first African-Americans to master the study of Egyptian hieroglyphs, uh, a member of the Comedic Institute, a very important uh, figure. In fact, I, I, I'll quote his favorite quote, which was from a sister in Oklahoma, Jacilla Dungy Houston, who wrote a book called Wonderful Ethiopians of the Ancient Kushite Empire. She and her brother Roscoe, her brother Roscoe was the, Roscoe was the publisher of a black newspaper in Oklahoma. And when she wrote that book on the opening pages, she says, lift up your heads, downtrodden and discouraged Ethiopians. She's talking to all of us. And listen to this marvelous story told of your ancestors who brought mightily for mankind and built the foundations of a civilization true and square in days of old. That's how she opens up the story she's going to tell of ancient Africa. The wonderful Ethiopians of the ancient Kushite Empire. There's 1926 in Oklahoma, this black woman. That's one of Jeff Carruthers' favorite quotes. But in the Carruthers Conference later on today, I'm going to talk about, I think, the subject. And this is where the cooking comes in as it relates to answer your question. I'm still cooking that presentation because every day this week I was slammed from morning to night and then deep into the night. So I'm making a few notes here and there. So now I'm pulling it all together. And, um, I, I'm, the title is The Intellectual Warfare of Jacob Carruthers, taking it from the book, Genealogies, Contexts, and the State of the War. Every year at our Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations Conference, Jacob Carruthers would give, in addition to his other remarks, what he would call the State of the War Report. In other words, this is where we are in terms of what we need to intervene in and what we, the work we need to do to help our people, to help, you know, humanity ultimately, but to help our people. And so... I think what we continue to do in this space, and it's building all the time. If you're hearing this and not in, you know, you need to think about what you want to do because we are moving and building. And not just because there are no life rafts. As Curtis Mayfield said, if it's hell below, we all going to go. If they, if they set off a bomb, everybody knows. So this is, as Mia Moore Motley, who we keep talking about over and over again, I brought her up with Howard yesterday, is talking about global warming going to get us first. So yeah, but then it's going to get you. So therefore, I'm not just out here for Barbados. And of course, Howard writes in Born in Blackness how Barbados is the key to the Caribbean, when the, when the British come in there. Very interesting. But what Carruthers, what I'm thinking as I'm cooking through this, and by cooking through it, meaning sitting quietly, thinking because if you can get real quiet and if you're working all the time and i'm working all the time meaning thinking all the time engaging listening looking then if you can get quiet it might take you 30 minutes hmm. oh yeah oh yeah oh i saw that uh, 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 uh. so that cooking process and what i'm going to do in a couple of hours with them 
this actually in this moment would be part of it in terms of this you should know about jacob carruthers and i mentioned a couple of things about carruthers and on, on the way to to the point the final point i want to make is you know carruthers was raised in texas he went to um sam houston um college which is now houston tillerson uh one of the professors who had the greatest impact on him was a brother named james farmer senior uh, y'all saw uh um you saw um him in the movie the great debaters um he was played by forrest whitaker um that's a real person his son james farmer senior the youngest guy on the debate team in the movie the great debates grew up to be james farmer jr leader of the congress of racial equality one of the quote quote big six with king and you know dorothy height and roy wilkins and uh, whitney young and them but at any rate he went on uh, he eventually got a phd from the university of colorado in political science the first african-american to do that um yeah that's a distinction but he wasn't really tripping on that he taught at several hbcus texas southern he taught at prairie view he ended up in chicago where he spent decades and made transition ultimately uh, at the center for inner city studies which is now named the jacob carruthers center for inner city studies northeastern illinois on the south the university on the south side of chicago extension center and he was one of the founders of the comedic institute now um, I could talk a lot more about Carruthers, and I think I will. We'll talk more about him. We'll do an extended You Should Know over in, in narrative about that. Now, but the reason I'm bringing it up is part of the answer to, to the question you raised, how should we move, what should we do in terms of doing this work? We're already doing it. But Carruthers used to, when he would get up and give public lectures, and I'm focusing particularly on a lecture he gave in October, October the 7th, 1998 at the Oberia Dempsey Center. Those of you who are New Yorkers know that, 127th, 120, West 127th Street. 127 West 127th Street. I've spoken there myself. For the United African Movement, my man Alton Maddox. Uh, Loretta Lynch, you didn't pick the wrong side of history, sis, but I understand you gotta get that money over there, Paul Weiss. Uh, we were talking about you in my class at the law school uh, Wednesday night. You know, big law firms sometimes make you make a choice, but even junior associates have a choice. And uh, you are senior associate, you used to be attorney general, which means that you're not defending these people simply because the law firm decided to defend the NFL. And Paul Weiss, one of them white shoe, big money law firms in the United States, you doing this because you decided it was better for you to do it than to turn it down. So we know which side you're on, sis. But uh, uh, best of luck to Brian Flores and his lawyers, um, because they got to have to fight the NFL. The Dolphins have their own lawyers. Uh, the minority owner of the Dolphin has a different owner uh, or lawyer than the majority owner because if they get the majority owner, the minority owner has right of first refusal to buy the stock. So he got his own lawyer. The Texans going to have their own lawyer. The Dolphins going to have their own lawyers. I said the Giants going to have their own or All these billionaires with lawyers versus one cat and his lawyers. So uh, And Loretta Lynch, wrong side, wrong side. But it's okay because Alton Maddox, who was a lawyer in New York, who was the leader of the United African Movement, was on the right side of history. And he invited Jacob Carruthers with the folks in Harlem. And those of you from Brooklyn know that they used to meet at the Slave Theater in Brooklyn, which ain't there no more. The gentrifiers knocked the building down. That was a great place, the Slave Number 7 in Brooklyn. But Alton invited uh, Jacob Carruthers right after John Henry Clark made transition in July 1998 to come and give a talk at the United African Movement meeting the weekly meeting and um october 7th 1988 jacob Perez gave a talk on what he called truth and falsehood and as he would always do i won't get into the substance of that i'm going to talk about that at the Carruthers conference a little later but what he would always do when he was away from home like out of chicago away from the comedic institute 
he would introduce himself by saying, I bring greetings. And for me, that's a roadmap for how we move forward, how we do our work. He said, I bring greetings from where I teach. That is the uh, Center for Inner City Studies. Pause. One of four. So we all have jobs. If I came and said, I bring you greetings from Howard University. That's where I teach. That's not who I am. That's not my life. It's where I teach. You understand? So take teach out and put your job in. I bring you greetings from where I where I work. That's the job. Sometimes if you're lucky, the job also overlaps with what you want to do with your life. I went to HBCU. I made a conscious decision to work at HBCUs. I make a conscious decision to publish with black publishers. I make a conscious decision. So, but you could do so-and-so. And then the question for me is, uh, why ever would I want to do that? And then the next question is, and why do you want to do it? In other words, <laughs> yeah, I just, okay. And then if people have a good answer, we go with God. That's great. But my point is that Carruthers, number one, this is my job. Now, then he says, I bring you greetings from the Comedic Institute. This is where I do my research, where I learn. Okay, so I would say, I bring you greetings from narrative, the Nubia. This is the place where I do my collective thinking with people. When I tell y'all, man, Howard French, born in blackness, New York Times bestseller, but Howard French is in Nubia having a conversation with folk who are in Nubia it's a very different kind of conversation. Cause like he told me yesterday and like he told you, I mean, I wrote this book for everybody. I want everybody to read it, but let me be very clear. I wrote it out of a black mind and I want black people to read it. Cause guess what? Random House not gonna push that. Guess what? The NAACP Image Awards ain't gonna nominate it for nothing. Why? Because them books that make that list, this not one of them books. The books that make that list are the memoirs by the rappers who had a ghostwriter who is not Karen Hunter, who just tried to make money because the books that you read from In fact, I saw you uh, posted something and I haven't watched it. I think you said you were going to watch it in the wake of this Kanye documentary is out. But you, of course, have a very special relationship mm. to his mother. And I have raising Kanye back here. And to, to know you now, when I didn't know you before, but to know that what I know about her, what I learned about her first came from the words that you helped her craft and craft it yourself. That's, that's, that's a responsibility that I'm not sure has translated into the contemporary era of those who collaborate on memoirs. I'm just not sure. I mean, do you have a sense of, have things changed in that way? Cause that's a very, that's a very, you know, I know it's not, you feel like it's not your best, but that's where I was introduced to Donda West before I knew her. Uh, I, I don't think things have changed. I think I've always done it differently than the way it was done because I always had a sense that whatever I put into a book will be there forever. No question. And I'm also honoring the legacy of the person that I'm working with. So, so there's a level of protection, you know, from LL to Wendy. There's so many things that didn't make it into the book because I knew over this, over time it would destroy them. My God! If we leave, if we put that in, I remember having that conversation with LL. We're not leaving that in this book, bro. Because right now you're 26, but I guarantee you, when you're 50, you're not gonna be happy with this. So we taking it. I'm taking it out. So you and know, you would have left it, it in. Yeah, because 26, whatever. This is what I did. I did it. So what? Put it. In. No, 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 so no. You really were protecting them too. Well, because there's a difference between a memoir and being a journalist, which is we're gonna tell all of the you know stuff. But as a memoir, this is your your piece. 
especially if it's your memoir that will be there forever. And, you know, so you're, you know, with Donda, there were a couple of things that I thought she should have put in the book, but she was very mindful at the time of Kanye and his fragility and Mm. what, you know, the media was coming for him. I can't put this in the book because this is going to give them fodder. But I'm like, this is your story. This is your story. And this is an important, there are at least two important things that needed to be in that book that no one will never know about. Um, But, you know, so I'm watching it. I can't watch the documentary because I'm like, yes, you know, this woman, deep thinker, brilliant woman, doted on this, her only child. Her only child. And she had it, you know, later in life. This is not a, you know, 20 year old. So, you know, and there's so much backstory to that as well. So there, there was a, you know, a doting on him in a way that I feel, you know, with her not being here, mm-hmm. there's a, you know, an addling effect or, you know, kind of a, a lost, you know, because you, he always had her to go to no matter what, no matter how crazy it looked, no matter what he did or said, there was always a place to go to where you knew, first of all, she knows you, but also she's going to always put, put your best foot forward, That's even right. if your foot is you know, <laughs> not on it. You know, she's always going to do that. I mean, even even to her death, you know, which is what was really sad, having that conversation with her before she went to the hospital. I'm like, why are you doing this? You know, why? You know, because when the camera pans, you know, they need to see a fly mother. Like that was her impetus for going in to get all. You know, like they need. He's fly. I need to be fly, and I don't feel fly. You know, on the sidelines when that camera pans over. All right, enough of that. Okay. No, not at all, because that ties in perfectly. What for someone who was a professor of African American studies, who was granted, this is not a critique of her at all. In fact, it seems like that is out of that love she had for her son, that desire. But you just see how that can co-mingle that love, that natural, that necessary, that important, that grounding love as a, as a in in the the uh the 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 sebait, as the Egyptians would call it, the wisdom teaching that is affixed to the bottom of the portrait of my mother that you all got for me um, and for us, for our family. You know, when you stand with the blessings of your mother and God, it matters not who stands against you from the Yoruba people. Um, You know, you understand, but then, then you put yourself in harm's way unnecessarily in part because a social structure has curated a sense of what beauty means what flyness means that is absolutely not at all not at all related to anything that we would attribute to africana meaning making i mean who you came out of your womb with isn't that the schizophrenia that this this culture that we're in almost forces us into we we all live in a double consciousness on some level you know this this forward facing like what society thinks of us you know what you know on TikTok, social media whatever versus who we are as African people, you know, that sense of community and love, you know, the most comforting space that I have right now is being in Nubia, being in, in conversation yes. with you on a yes. regular basis. Cause I don't worry about, you know, Senyata on Sundays or what. You're not worried about how you, like Nubians come and ask you a question. Some people may be moisturizing their hair. They got their grandbabies <laughs> with them or they- Gotta love it. Yes. Yesterday, Howard French, we had a little, little kid, Um, uh, his name was Case. I think he was five years old. Who his mother was trying to ask a question, he kept trying to, you know, I'm like, him in. Don't, don't leave him out. He wants to be a part of this. And it's, you know, there's this, this, um, there's there's no like we gotta put on airs for acceptance because we're accepted. 
That's right. Period. So she was kind of, you know, feeding his dream because it's what he wanted. At the same time, it's like you she knows, you know, she was in the back of a paddy wagon with her parents being arrested. Yes. You know what I'm saying? She she yes. she took her son to China. Like she understood the the power of the knowledge that that she, you know, and she taught it. She was a professor. Right. But then there's that that drug of like, <laughs> you know, that, that fame drug, you know, that fame drug where and then it's the media and it's like, OK, so I have to navigate because I don't want them, you know, saying, oh, I'm old or whatever. So I'm still kind of like battling the thing that matters. Not at all. None of that matters not at all. You know, I just um, told you, it's like, don't bring us stuff that we I don't want to focus on anything that anybody's saying about us or doing because we are focused. So who cares? Oh no, that's hilarious. No you question. Know, who I, cares yeah. what anybody's got to say about what we're they ain't doing it? If you ain't here doing it, you're not in here building a brick. I could give a damn what you think about what we're doing right now. That's if you're right. not a part of building this, sit your ass down somewhere because this, well, this really doesn't matter. <laughs> well, that well, that's why that's why I think it again it, with with the. Oh shoot! What did I what did I just do? Okay, I'm, I'm definitely I'm trying good. to get you solo. No, that's cool. We good? No, we good. Go ahead, go <laughs> you know, those four things that 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 Kara's always introduced when he whenever he would be in in public, you know, where he teaches us his job. We have a job. We have our jobs. Hopefully, they overlap. Where we do our our research and learning and studying together, and we have that in Nubia. I mean, so much more, obviously, in there. And then he and then the other two categories, he would say, you know. Uh, greetings from the African, uh, the temple for the African community of the city of Chicago, uh, the community of Chicago. He said, that's where I worship. That's the spiritual dimension. And I kind of uh, glossed that for today's presentation I'm going to do in Chicago, you know, where we develop our world sense. Like, where do we get our grounding? And these are all in word. Those, the, the first one is a kind of, social structure space you know we gotta you know sustain ourselves and uh the second one is internal you know the third one is internal where we study and learn together and share together and where we develop our world sense our sense of who we are in the world and thing that feeds us and uh, as you as you said that of course i feel the same way as this is how we feel and then the fourth one he says you know and then I can read your greetings from the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, where we are dedicated to developing African worldview and we're engaged in our African world history project. Well, that's the space we restore, we share, and we influence. Meaning that while we are building and sustaining ourselves internally, we realize that if we're going to do that for our people, and in fact, I, I interviewed Abdullah Kalamite. Um, who will be 80 this year. He just finished a book called The History of Black Studies. It's over there, first volume. He's got two volumes coming out. Next one is The Future of Black Studies. And he also did a book. Um, let me see if I have it done. Dialectics of Liberation, which is fascinating because he was a member of, a founding member of the collective that created the African Liberation Support Community. Those of you who know African Liberation Day, things like that. And I just interviewed uh, Abdul. And one of the things he writes in, he gives a 10 point, 10 lessons he says, chapter five is 10 lessons, uh, lessons and legacy. You know, this is what I've learned in struggle. I mean, all kinds of things. We won't talk about Abdul. It's, it's another who should, in fact, we should invite him over. He, I'm sure he would love to have a conversation. Um, he says in here um, a number of other things. Among, among things he talks about, he says, organizational unity is needed by the Black liberation movement. The highest level of unity needed is ideological unity. 
And he goes on and he says, you know, you got to have forces in all regions. One of the things he talks about, he says, now there are people out there who call themselves revolutionaries. And he said, he was reminded of the words of, he quotes V.I. Lenin, and I'm not going to get into whether or not he quoted Lenin accurately, and I'm not quoting V.I. Lenin's what is to be done. It's over on the shelf with the rest of Lenin's work. Well, actually, that's not true. Most of Lenin's work is in storage because, you know, you got all these volumes. Anyway. So anyway, but the what is to be done is over there. But at any rate, he quotes Vladimir Lenin for saying, you know, when you have a revolutionary party, that's not a mass organization. He says, you can have an organization of just revolutionaries and all y'all revolutionaries and all eight of y'all are right. Now, if you want to influence people beyond that, you're going to, at some point, you have to engage them and you can't go in and engage them telling them what's wrong and telling them all the time what's wrong, what needs to be done or even what's right. You have to figure out ways to be in community with people because if you say you're really working for the people, you need to work for the people. You need to stop you know, and this is this is Abdul now, Caleb, and he, and he lived through the ideological wars, the left versus the Pan-Africanists and nationalists. He trying to straddle the fence, but he really with the left more than anything, which means he's catching hell from my man. And a lot of them cats that he fought with were people that trained me. I told him that was we were having a conversation. I said, you know, Jay Corrales, Anderson Thompson, Harold Pates, them cats, man, them is my people. You understand? I'm a Pan-Africanist. I'm a, I'm a Pan-African internationalist. Wherever black people are, I'm I'm against anything, and I'm for everything that was that or uh, everybody who's in harm's way. I don't, you know, we're gonna talk about intersectionality, race, class, gender. Okay, we had that conversation later when we over in there, the Nubia and them places. We, but right now, we have a common enemy. So we not we not ain't no ain't no sheltered rear, and it ain't no front ranks. This is we are shoulder to shoulder. Let's just disabuse ourselves of all that other stuff. But anyway, I started to say that. When Carruthers would greet himself finally in the fourth of those things. So, you know, I bring you greetings from where I teach. I bring you greetings from where I do my research and learning. I bring you greetings from the place where I worship, where I find my own sense of the world and culture. And I bring you greetings from the organization that we have that is outward facing to share influence. I think of all the things we're doing, I think we inhabit so much all of those four categories. We, we, we do what we have to do to stay indoors. We then make the choice to be in a place where we're learning collectively. And again, to have 11, 12, 1300 people and more on every Monday going page by page through text. People say, well, what's that useful? Well, you ain't got to come if you don't want to. But if you come, you'll see what it is. And then, you know, and I'm sure Howard French, one of the world's great journalists, a black man, who has committed his intellectual work and global practice to telling this story for a new generation and retelling this story for a new generation, I'm sure seeing that child come across the screen did more for him than sitting on MSNBC or CNN or getting an award. I mean, it, it's a different thing when you're in our thing. But ultimately, in order to get more people into our thing and ultimately to transform, we have to do the influence. And so even this, this Saturday thing, this is... a uh, it's difficult for, you know, for us. I mean, it's, it's a labor of love, which is what sustains us. But in terms of the investment, the only way you can be sustained, we both know this. We all know the only way you can be sustained in work like this, you got love. It's got to be love. And not that topical. So, no, it's got to be a love that really has an inexhaustible source because our people will break your heart. Mm. You know, mm. break your entire heart. But then you have to remember 
that they're not doing that because they're trying to. Well, two or three of them Negroes are, but we can, like I said, ignore them. But, you know, because that's a whole nother crazy that they spin you off into space. But they're doing that because they've been hurt. Most of the time we hurt because we've been hurt. And so, you know, we just, we overwhelm, as Dr. King would say, we overwhelm them with our capacity to love. And it's not because we're trying to be better than anybody when nobody's better than anybody else. We just, you know, like you say, don't, don't let them knock that picture out your hand while you're pouring them clean glasses of water. And I feel like this Saturday work in particular is, as you said at the beginning, pouring these clean glasses of water. Because some people, they never seen no clean glass of water. Now, I know that's what Jacob Carruthers did with his life. And if I'm going to be his in that training, as Sundiata said, this is how it was taught to me because this is how it was taught to him because this is how it was taught to him. If I'm in that line, then I got to be in that line. It's not even, you know, yeah, it's not even a... I don't have a choice. This is love. Um, somebody okay. said tough love is love. I, I think I master it. I, I master tough love. Um, because for me, there, there's no compromise. You know, there should be no compromise in, in getting up every day and centering blackness, centering African, right. centering, oh, centering, centering the goal. Every day you get up and you're like freedom, freedom. Freedom for me. Freedom looks like freedom for everybody. Okay, let's go. What do we? How, what do we need to do today? You know. And I, I just feel like, and uh, again, and thank you, thank you. I can't thank you enough. And we thank each other. Yes. But thank everybody in, in Nubia right now because I'm in the chat. Yes. Because what you know, Dr. Carr and I would be doing this anyway. We were doing it anyway. Before, yeah. Before I hit record, so she we said, would be having. <laughs> you know, some people are like, oh, these conversations, they go off on so many tangents. Can you stick? To no, we're not sticking to the topic because the topic is us. So however we get to us, we're going to talk about us. And if you can't follow along, that's fine. That's fine. Maybe, you know, eventually you'll get the rhythm of it or you won't. And that's fine, too. This mm. is, everyone's not going to get it. And that's the biggest thing, you know, that I've had to come to the conclusion because I want everyone to get it. But yes, you know, I'm happy with the people that have gotten it and the people that will get it. Great. Whenever you get it. And that's what, you know, I'm learning from you is more patience, you know, because I want everyone to get it right now because we got so much to do. And we're well, I mean, yeah, that, that ain't going to happen. So we know, we know, I know. you know, it, well, you, said, you, said to me, you said to me, you know, we're going to lose this battle, right? Well, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. And I'm like, no, yeah, <laughs> like, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. I'm, I mean, because, I'm like, no, we're not. We're not. <laughs> and I have to be clear. And I'm glad I'm logging in now. Cause I'm seeing now. I got, I got on the, on the uh, cell phone. I'm looking now. Yeah. I mean, somebody said, that's true. You can't eat freedom. Which is why Jeff Cruz will always say, I bring you greetings from where I work. In other words, there's the thing where you got, now, where you work, you got to do what you got to do. But please don't ever confuse that for creating a space where we can actually engage in that type of study and envisioning this, that nurtures our freedom dreams. And then we develop also a grounding place that brings that love out. And then that fourth category we move out to influence because one day maybe where you work will also be in a place you also sustains you, but it will never get there as long as you confuse that with those other categories. So I think a lot of times in our rush to want to be at the place, we mix up all the categories and all that ends up doing is sustaining our enemies because they're very clear. Yeah. In fact, it's so funny. I'm, I'm going to say less about this because, uh, um, no, actually, no, hell no. I'm going to say something about it right quick. Because again, we, well, one thing we said, you know, at least I said to myself, you know, we, we need to, you know, kind of rein in a little bit, get a little bit more time because people, you know, had time and 
things open up. So I'm only gonna spend, I promise you, two minutes on this. And I say, I promise, I'm gonna put this timer on here now. I ain't gonna say no much more about it. Um, there was news announced last week that a foundation gave several million dollars to a uh, um, a collective of universities to rethink capitalism. <laughs> um, Harvard, MIT, Howard, Johns Hopkins is one other school or organization. And I read through the, the press announcement and I just kind of laughed. I said, anyone who understands the history of foundations, and I interviewed uh, Maribel uh, Mori, as I thought, who wrote the book White Philanthropy that we talked about here. We had a conversation about this. And so I asked Maribel what she thinks about this. I sent her uh, an email or a DM, I think I DM'd her. But I said, these people are capitalism. And if they paying you to rethink capitalism, you got to know that ain't the objective, right? You know that's not the objective, right? As Janet Jackson would say, finally, this is a story about control. So we always have to be mindful of the fact that while we may not always be clear, the people who have kept their feet on our neck for centuries are crystal clear. So I'll stop with that. <laughs> Can we just do a brief shout out since we're going to uh, J.R. Smith? Because, you know, J.R., the man. Every day, their little pockets of hope, you know, as I say, I go into Nubia every day and I'm like, ee, smile, I'm happy. Uh, but J.R. Smith's, you know, in the podcast that he did, the couple of minutes that I saw on Twitter, um, he got it. You know, he spent 16 years in the NBA. Chasing, chasing uh, clout, and you know he talks about having having that nicest whip, and the rookies come in, you got to have all of the things, and he was like, if we just came together, so it doesn't matter when somebody wakes up, isn't that something? But he, you know, it, and that wasn't the barbershop, whether it be on HBO or not. That's uh -huh. the, the man spent a semester at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, North Carolina A and T said his favorite class that semester was Africana Studies. And listen to J.R. Smith after a semester and two months in college at a HBCU in a Black Studies class. I'm listening to J.R. Smith like, is this the same dude? In fact, I want to take that meme where they had with, uh, with, uh, with LeBron doing like this. Is this, is this, what? Yes, that's what it does, y'all. And then somebody said, now we just need to bring him on in the narrative. Hey, man, everybody at their own time and pace. Come on. Come That's on. right. It was beautiful though, wasn't it? I'm saying, look right. at this. Look at yeah. this cat. So, so we we as 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 said in the chat, we we don't. It's not about wins and losses. Those are those are European right. concepts. It's about being. And the more that we remember, the more that we come together, the more that we are in this space, just being. Uh, and thank you for the mindfulness of of uh, Ted. What? How do you say his name? Uh, the 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 monk. The, that just oh, made oh, uh, Tick Tick Non Tick Non Kong Yes Yeah Tick Not Han Tick Not like N O T Yeah Han and the tick is like a tick that burrows under your skin Tick Not Han There he is with Martin Luther King and that uh, brothers in in the beloved community the latest book that talks about them too they knew each other of course. Well, you, got, you got me buying a couple of, like I bought two of them already. The Jesus, the the, the Christianity and the Buddhist one, and oh, then really? the mindfulness. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, every time we crazy because he'll make you think, damn, wait a minute, it can't be this simple. And then you realize 
it's really it is it's simple <laughs> so i know you got a lot of things to do yeah i'm ahead to the brother conference love to you i'll see you, you know. in them nubian streets monday nubian streets monday what are we doing in office monday, hours finishing, oh yes yes monday office hours we are finishing the souls of black folk let me pull my special copy out um this of course is the 75th or diamond jubilee edition Fisk University. I like showing that because Fisk got the original plates for the souls of black folk. Uh, Brother L.M. Collins, Professor Collins did the introduction. He's a recent ancestor. Um, taught for Fisk at many years. I like elevating those ancestors. And um, we are finishing the souls of black folk on Monday night. We have the last three chapters and the afterthought. So the first one we'll be discussing, one of my favorites, of Alexander Crummel. If you don't know who Alexander Crummel is, those of you who are not yet in Nubian narrative, y'all look him up. Alec, everybody, really. C-R-U-M-M-E-L-L. -L. That brother, in some ways, this is Du Bois's kind of, in some ways, intellectual, spiritual father of sorts. Alexander Crummel, very important figure. Um, and then next, on the coming of John, and then of the sorrow songs and the afterthought. So we're finishing up Souls of Black Folk, and we'll move from there. But of course, between today, the day Malcolm was assassinated, 1965, and Monday, when we have office hours, is Maroon's medicine chest. That's right. So uh, we know that uh, our resident sorceress is going to conjure something that's going to save our souls if we will listen to her instructions. Yes. So <laughs> I think she has a special guest tomorrow. So, Nubia. Oh. We'll see you there. I'm not going to say, Ooh, I'm going to say less. Say sure. less. Say so, less. And uh, as this space grows, you know, there's, there are rules of engagement that some of you are, you know, I'm seeing uh, are not privy to, but you'll get, you know, other Nubians. And that's the thing that I love, you know, somebody said, thank you. But no, we're only here because of, because you're here. Oh, no So question. thank you. Thank you. And y'all are self-policing. And, and I didn't want to use that word. Somebody said I used a slur with paddy wagon. Okay. I'll get it together. But oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of them that they fall in that category. And then, and when we know better, we do better. But there's a lot of those, man. I, I hear people talk about, oh, wait, you can't. Oh, and they realize nobody ever said anything. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you call people cops, I put that in category right. with Patty Wag. Okay. All right. Yeah, I apologize. They, no, because the, 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 the poor whites, the Irish, were the ones who did a lot of that cleanup duty for the white people. They were trying to fight their way into becoming white. And uh, they used to give out copper badges in places like New York and uh, Boston. When you say the cops are coming, you just engaged in a slur. So now some of y'all are like, oh, oh, right. So I mean, don't. <laughs> well, who, who's offended, though? Who are we offending? Uh, I would say probably clear. Who's, who's got the ears. And see, I see you asking that question. You say, listen, right. That's exactly right. Okay, I, I, I don't want to offend anybody, so I want to be because I, mean, I, I saw a stage full of people strolling across the Super Bowl who have used more N words and B words than probably the entirety of humanity at any given day. Uh, since they were in prison jumpsuits and with uh low riders in front of it, apparently a bunch of people thought they did an incredible performance. Then I saw a white man take a knee and throw his fists up in the air and get credit for it. I'm like, Yep, they got y'all. <laughs> On that note, more of this uh, in Nubia, of course, Dr. Yes. Ray Carr, Monday, Tuesday, Dr. Beatty, uh, and we're going to just keep going and building, and uh, new Nubia, you know, you know uh, Monday is when you can ask questions. A lot of questions were asked. I'm going to ask him. You can ask him yourself. 
drop in to uh, office hours For and real. ask a question. The that's, link that's will be there. That's, that's right. probably there. So, yeah, that's uh, why we have it. We're reading the books, but office hours is designed to just, you we talk. That's what we did. That's what we do. Facts. All right. Facts. Love you, Dr. Carney. Love you, love you too, Professor Hunter. See y'all tomorrow. All right. Yeah.